Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Tuesday, May 9th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. Canada kicks out a Chinese diplomat for allegedly intimidating MP Michael Chong and his family in Hong Kong. Michael Chong says it's about time. It shouldn't have taken this long. It shouldn't have taken uh, two years for the government to make this decision when they became aware uh, that members and their families of the House of Commons were being targeted. And now China has expelled a Canadian diplomat in Shanghai in retaliation. The state of emergency continues in Alberta as wildfires rage across the province in the midst of the election. There is no question that this is a challenging time. Tens of thousands of people have been forced from their homes and their jobs. They're leaving behind all they own, wondering if they will lose everything that they've worked for. And Liberal MP Nate Erskine-Smith is the first official candidate to jump into Ontario's Liberal leadership race. Joining us is Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Julie. Well, so lots of developments on the Chinese interference file. Um, you know, the government, it was almost painful to watch how they've deliberated over this for the past week, saying they won't accept Chinese interference, but actually doing nothing about the, the source, this diplomat, Zhao Wei. And now uh, he's been told to leave Canada. So slow as molasses, Susan, or lightning speed? How do you see it? Well, given that apparently this has been known for two years, slow as molasses, um, in light of the fact that the government says that it only found out in the Globe and Mail last Monday, a reasonable time, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's at, at, at issue here is, is who is driving this bus? You know, that is it an anonymous leaker to the Globe and Mail who is now managing to dictate how the government deals with China, which is worrisome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I talked to a lot of liberals at the convention, as I'm sure you did too, who are a little baffled by all of this and <clears throat> and in their quieter moments will admit they don't seem to be handling things all that well. They're They're reacting rather than acting. And that has got to be a a concern for them. Yeah, I mean, if you roll back uh, time to when the big breaks in the story with the Globe happened in February, if they'd kind of jumped on it and done what seems to be obvious just to deal with it, okay, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Maybe we should just take it to a public inquiry. Here we are in May, you know, Mm -hmm. still talking about this. So, um, now, overnight, the Chinese reacted. What's happened there? Uh, a diplomat has been expelled. Um, Jennifer Lalonde, who is, I take it, the the head consul in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. So that that fits with an eye for an eye kind of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that it, what people were wondering about yesterday, people smarter than me, uh, on the China file were what kind of retaliation are they going to see? You know, if it's one diplomatic spell for another one, that's sort of in line. But China's statement, I'm not going to read it all out here, mm-hmm. seems to imply that this isn't over yet, that that uh, there's going to be more. And on that, the range runs from 
economic, some kind of economic sanctions, and we have considerable economic dealings with China. That's mm -hmm. not a small thing. To another, to Michael's case, you know, seizing somebody, accusing them of a crime and tossing them in jail. And China has shown itself to be willing to do all of these things. Uh, so, um, you know, declaring an import from, from Canada unsafe, for instance, that's another thing they could do. So I, I think- I mean, like in terms of pork or some yes, or something that yeah. we trade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and one, of the, one of the big things that we trade with them is, you know, finding some reason to suspect it. Anyway, uh, I, I guess we wait and see now. Um, what we do see is the retaliation and, and this escalation is happening a lot more quickly than David Johnson getting the inquiry into it. That The deadline for David Johnson, uh, back to where we were on yeah. this one, mm -hmm. uh, the government decided that it, the best thing to do would be to have an impartial or outside person determine what could be done about foreign interference, what kind of what kind of assurance Canadians would need. And I think the consensus is now that some kind of inquiry is needed. But David Johnson is the one given that job, and David Johnson has until May 23rd to report. So all of this, basically the world has changed right. since David exactly. Johnson was was set up to uh, to do this. So I'm just like you and I are following the news every night. Imagine David Johnson's job trying to figure out how to how to deal with foreign interference when the story is now moving as quickly as it is. Right. Because when they announced him and said May 23rd and some people said that's fast, you know, a lot of <laughs> us were thinking that's actually not fast uh, because no. people want answers a lot more quickly than May, May 23rd. Um, so, yeah, so we'll have to watch, you know, how this unravels with China. Uh, you know, who knows how it affects uh, a lot of us. I mean, if people were planning to travel there, who knows? There could be a travel advisory. Who knows? So this is bubbling away in the background. And Susan, just yesterday, uh, you know, just on this whole idea that the government is not ahead of the game, in Parliament, uh, three parties voted on a conservative motion to do so many things, right? Like to... Uh, kick out the diplomat to establish a national, uh, sorry, a public inquiry to close down China-run police stations to set up a registry. And it was only after that the government uh, kicked out the diplomat. All parties supported this except for the liberals. So they, they do have a problem in looking like they're just not on top of it. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, that was an if if they had a good argument for why not to do all these things, I'm not sure I heard it in in mm -hmm. the uh, debate. I I do think that caution is is warranted here. The, you know that this could get very serious. And mm -hmm. um, the the two Michaels uh, incident when the two Canadians kept for more than a thousand days in prison there that was no small thing. And I, I do think that uh, just to be fair to the government here, you you don't want to mess around in this. And two years ago, the two Michaels were still being held, you know, when mm -hmm. all of this stuff was happening. So and while, yes, uh, threats against uh, or targeting of, of an MP is serious, what the government was all consumed with two years ago was 
getting the two Michaels out of out of China. Exactly. So um, I think we should also mention, too, that the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, they put out a release yesterday um, to basically point out that, you know what, uh, Russia in this country is up to similar foreign in- interference, disinformation. I'm reading from their news release. Uh, you know, their diplomats are here to undermine Canada's support for Ukraine. Uh, so there's 80 diplomats here. The UCC calls on the government of Canada to expel Russian diplomats from our country. Um, so, you know, it, as we go along, it's not just about China. It could be about, you know, we could be looking at Russia. We could be looking at Iran. Yeah. And there's been a spirited discussion around this idea of whether to expel Russian diplomats because they then would expel ours and we lose our eyes and ears on the ground or ability to help uh Canadians in Russia. So uh, I I listened to that that debate quite um I was fascinated with it mm-hmm. when it was going on last year because the government does not want to get in the business of leaving places um how do you say uncounseled. Right. <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah. It doesn't without want to de- be without diplomats there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn to Alberta, because in our country, these uh, forest fires are are obviously becoming an emergency, certainly in Alberta, but um, and terrible for the people that are uh, sustaining what's happening. Ninety five up to ninety five per almost close to 100 forest fires across the country. Thirty thousand people have been evacuated in the backdrop of all this. We have an election in Alberta. And it's just interesting. I mean, it was just called last week. It's a very short campaign. It's um, happening. The Albertans go to the polls on May 29th. So how are these uh, forest fires kind of upending the the rhetoric, both between the candidates and just federally, uh, that we would normally anticipate in an election? Yeah. I, I Right now, it's suspended the election, more or less. Um, mm-hmm. But I... I can't I I'm imagining they're going to have to extend the uh the election especially for all these people who've um are have lost their homes and uh and are living in hotels in Calgary. Uh they're not going to be uh too interested in whether Rachel Notley or Daniel Smith is the mm-hmm. next premier. Mm-hmm. So I I would imagine we're going to be hearing more about how this affects the election just in timing purposes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the tenor of the debate though it's interesting as well is because you're seeing we talked about this that rachel notley and danielle smith have to speak to each other they have to consult danielle smith had to phone the prime minister yesterday and ask for help Mm -hmm. Uh, that was um i was watching her news conference when she was talking about that and she was very um careful to say immense thank you to the Canadian forces and sort of a Justin Trudeau's just doing his job. And so am I mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, a little bit awkward, but uh, yeah, the, uh, during the convoy hearings, I, we all got a glimpse into what happens in a state of emergency and how federal and provincial politicians talk to each other. And there was a lot of tension between Bill Blair and his counterpart in uh, in Alberta. Then there was a, a lot of uh, tension between the federal and provincial government over how much 
aid the federal government was giving to break up the convoys in Alberta, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching, I was watching the news conferences yesterday for elements of that being fixed. And I, mm -hmm. I, I lost track of how many times Bill Blair said that he was in constant contact with Alberta right, because right. of allegations during the convoy that he was not. Yeah, no, but it's interesting going back to Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley. They're not exactly, you know, best friends, that's for sure. And Rachel Notley has said several times over the past few days, um, she's welcome to call me anytime. There's a picture of them sitting down talking together because Rachel Notley, of course, as premier back in 2016, was dealing with the wildfires in Fort McMurray. Uh, right. So saying, you know, I do have some experience dealing with this. So, I mean, there's a, a kind of a forced rapprochement between them. <laughs> and just this whole idea of the federal government, I guess we anticipated, uh, you know, that perhaps she might be using Justin Trudeau as, as a punching bag during the campaign. It may be harder to do so. Another interesting thing that this does is focus Albertans' minds on climate change. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, I, I, I don't want to use hot topic, but it, yeah. the, it, is a, it, it is a point of demarcation between conservatives and New Democrats mm -hmm. on um, what can be done about climate change. So I'll be interested to see how that plays into the discussion there in Alberta, because these fires have not just happened, they've escalated uh, as as the climate is changing. So whether climate change becomes an issue in the Alberta election will be fascinating to see. Right. And just the fact that they're raging in, in May, it, it, uh, yeah. you know, I'd have to go back over the records, but it seems early in there... the season. But um, so let's move on just to Ontario um provincial politics where, you know, it's been under the radar a little bit, but there's been a lot of jockeying in for this Ontario liberal leadership race to replace Stephen Del Duca. Um, and, um, you know, it looks like the first declared candidate is an actual sitting MP, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. What do you think of that? Well, you, like me, also was at the, the liberal convention. There was a lot going on there. <laughs> Every time I, I went on the escalator, I was being handed a pamphlet or two from somebody. But Nate Erskine Smith certainly was the most active there. He had a hospitality suite. Okay, um, I didn't see that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, we've known for a while that um, Yasser Nakbi, our local Ottawa Centre politician, is believed to be entering the race too we've got ted shu um mm -hmm. yeah. he's a former mp ted shu former mp yeah. i talked to him at the convention as well uh nate erskine smith i've profiled him actually he is a very interesting guy mm -hmm. he has been he is um journalists love him because he doesn't talk off the record he he tells you things. he just talks he just talks yes <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't care whether he's on the record or off the record he's also doesn't necessarily vote with his own government mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, he He's a very um, different style of politician. And I think he'll make the race interesting as well, too. And he's, it, I, I saw in one interview, he was talking about how, um, how stupid, <clears throat> for want of another term, politics has become in Ontario, that it's, and he wants to up the game of it there. So 
the liberals in Ontario are in bad shape. Mm -hmm. They, uh, they're sort of languishing in third. They, you know, they, they did a very bad job the last election. And just like the federal liberals 10 years ago, people are wondering, can the party still exist? So all of the leadership candidates, that's got to be their first job is prove to me why Ontario needs a liberal party anymore. And I'm sure Naders and Smith and the others are going to have some interesting things to say about that because it's not clear that Ontario needs a liberal party anymore. Mm. Um, you know, as, as po politics gets more polarized, you have the situation of you have the NDP and you have the conservatives and uh, a big mass market middle party. Anyway. No, exactly. Well, yeah, and back to him for a second, to Nate Erskine-Smith. I was looking up his, uh, one of the articles that talked about his voting record. And back in 2016, he'd only been elected for six months. There were 90 votes and he voted 11 times against the government, his own That's government. Right. That's right. Um, you know, and, and I was looking at what he won by last time in Beaches, York, and he won by more than 17,000 votes. Uh, so I guess I'm thinking... He's probably relatively comfortable in his riding, but he could be a thorn in his own government side. I'm wondering if Trudeau likes Doug Ford more than he likes Nat Erskine Smith. Because <laughs> Trudeau gets along very well with Doug Ford. I love watching that show. I actually went door to door with um, with Nate during the 2021 election. Yeah. I uh, or, or was it 2019? 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The non-COVID election. Yeah. And uh, and got to see him in action there in uh in the beaches. He is very well liked. Uh, I was going door to door with him right after the prime minister had been um, <clears throat> caught with the blackface. Uh oh, yeah. Um, and the, the first thing I saw at the doors there that was interesting and proved to be true is people didn't really care about it. Um, it's interesting. But, uh, but Nate sat on countless doorsteps talking to people. And again, climate change was a big issue down there. Hmm. in uh, hmm. in Toronto. Hmm. So, um yeah, I I I'm sorry to see him go from Ottawa. I think uh if he does leave that that politics will be a little poorer for it here. He's a an interesting voice in caucus mm -hmm. and um right now for example, he's trying to get through a bill to review pandemic preparedness. You know, right. to uh which I think Ottawa needs and this is something we've heard that, you know, Everybody from Preston Manning, right? Saying exactly, it's necessary. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, he's he's uh, he's definitely an interesting guy who's going to be missed here. So, okay, well, I think basically we're looking at a party that's pretty moribund, but it's attracting a lot of relatively um, solid former yep. MPs. And we didn't mention Bonnie Crombie, who was yes. also an MP in Ottawa, uh, who's a mayor now, but she may be jumping in. So that she was also wandering around the convention. No, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> obviously they're going where where they want to meet the people, right? To yep. So that doesn't happen till December. So we'll keep our eye on on that as well. And um, I guess it's time to wrap up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so have a great day, Susan. You too. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. And that was Susan Delacourt, columnist with the Toronto Star. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Toronto Star, Graham Thompson asks if the knives are already out for Danielle Smith inside her own party. He writes, 
Smith has proven to be so controversial, there is growing speculation that if she ekes out a small majority government, she will be forced out as party leader by an internal party revolt. She is, to put it politely, a headline generator. After winning a controversial and divisive leadership race last year, she quickly transitioned into a controversial and divisive premier. Her party is still recovering from last year's leadership race. And if Rachel Notley squeaks out a small majority, the NDP will be dancing in the streets. If Smith squeaks out a narrow win, the UCP will be dancing on her political grave. In the Globe and Mail, André Picard argues that while the pandemic emergency is over, COVID-19 isn't. He writes, to date, there have been close to 7 million COVID deaths officially recorded worldwide, though the real number is likely two or three times higher. It is still killing about 4,000 people a week worldwide and sickening who knows how many more. It hasn't finished ripping a global trail of social, economic, and political destruction. Symbolically, at least the pandemic is over, but nobody's celebrating. There won't be a ticker tape parade to celebrate COVID's demise because it lingers. The beginning of the end is more of a moment of exhausted relief than triumph. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting and attend question period. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the Cabinet meeting virtually from Toronto. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak at the 2023 Canada's Building Trades Unions Canadian Conference. He will then speak to the media before taking part in question period. Minister for Women Marcy Ian will make an announcement on funding for projects to help strengthen abortion access across Canada. And Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will deliver remarks at the Fredericton Chamber of Commerce. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, May 9th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.